Hello again. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Once again, I am Eric Nemchak, as always, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Welcome to part two of our like free agency preview recap. I don't, Stephen, I don't know if I should call it a recap or a preview because you know we know that things are happening, or that they're going to happen, but they haven't actually happened yet. What, what do you think? Yeah, and we don't really know the the terms of anything happening. I I think the title I used in part one was reaction. Um, reaction. Okay, that's, so I think that kind of that's accurate. That's we, all we we're are, doing really is reacting. We're reacting. We're reacting. Um, and we've got a whole lot more to react to. Um, in particular, uh, the Minnesota Lynx have been cleaning up this free agency period. Well, when it starts, yeah. they, uh, <laughs> they signed Natalie Achanwa, um, backup center. They signed Kayla McBride. It looks like they're going to be signing Ariel Powers as well. Let's react. Yeah, there's uh, a lot to unpack here, but first, I definitely want to acknowledge that, you know, you had been pretty adamant for the last few months that, like, Kayla McBride was probably your most likely unrestricted free agent in in the entire league to change teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you surprised that Minnesota is where she ended up? No, because I feel like Minnesota is a team, well, we we both kind of uh, surmised that Minnesota was going to be a hot spot. For, for free agents because not only are they a good team, but they're a team with a lot of cap space. So w- when you can kind of have your cake and eat it too as a free agent, like you know you're signing on to someplace good, but you can also get your bag as well. That's uh, that's a pretty big deal. And uh, McBride, I think, was one of the premier unrestricted free agents on the market. I'm not at all surprised to see her sign with Minnesota because um, Cheryl Reeve knows that three-pointers exist. <laughs> She's a really good coach, um, and she has proven to kind of be – a coach who can adapt on the fly, as we saw last season in the bubble. So I think she's going to be um, – I think McBride is going to be right at home. You know, Reeve is a coach who – is a coach who demands accountability, but this is a situation in which McBride can kind of play her game, you know, and, and have a coach who is willing to conform the system to the talent rather than make the talent conform to the system, if you will. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. There are, you know, coaches – and this is being a little bit reductive, but there are coaches that – want you to react or, or adjust your game as a player and coaches that are going to adjust their their scheme to the players around them. And I think Reeve is definitely the latter where she's just going to maximize the talent that she has and make sure that players are doing things that they're good at, not necessarily trying to fit them in into a box they don't belong in. And offensively, like I think McBride is going to be an awesome fit and, and open up like uh, an element in this offense in terms of like the versatility of her jump shot, being able to run off pin downs and just fire right off the catch um, that we really haven't seen in this offense since like they had Maya Moore and obviously Kayla McBride is not Maya Moore but like they haven't really been running those actions a ton. Uh, McBride was fourth in total possessions last year in terms of just uh, finishing her possessions coming off a screen. She was third in 2019 and the Lynx as an offense have been pretty like low volume on those in these last few non-Maya seasons so as we said like Reeve is definitely going to coach to McBride's strength and and this is uh, an awesome one I think in terms of the fit well speaking to your point about coming off screens I I looked at the synergy stats the Lynx were actually dead last in the WNBA in percentage of possessions categorized as off screen last season just about four percent in 2020 uh last year 17.9 percent of McBride's offensive possessions were off screen down from 22.7 percent in 2019 so this is obviously, like you said, a whole new wrinkle she can add to the Lynx offense. And as I said, again, I mean, it bears repeating. She's now playing for a coach who is willing to adjust the scheme, you know, conforming to the talent. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great fit. Um, I'm really excited to see, like, what McBride can bring to Minnesota. And then even if it's not – you know, you're not going to run a, a play for McBride every possession. But even just having one more player who is 
you know, who demands to be guarded out there is going to do a lot for this offense as well. Yeah, and obviously she's she's a great shooter, but she does give you like enough, I think, attacking off closeouts and, and enough off the bounce as well. Like I, I think I like that aspect of her game a little bit more like overseas for Fenerbahce more than, you know, against like WNBA athleticism, but it's definitely a nice element to have. And, you know, she she is serviceable, I think, kind of off the dribble in that way. And uh, you had mentioned their numbers just in terms of like how frequently they're, they're running that type of action. I think in 2017, uh, not to keep bringing her up, but Maya Moore, like 17% of her possessions were coming off a screen. So that's right in line in terms of like what McBride has been doing the past couple of years. So it's definitely not something that this coaching system or, or this system is like completely unfamiliar with, you know what I mean? So they're definitely going to be able to kind of implement that stuff. And yeah, like you said, it, it's just nice to have one more player that needs to be guarded out there. And of course, uh, I think that they, they now have two more players that needed to be guarded out there. But, but even the difference between like someone who is a stationary three-point shooter and someone who can uh, just keep the, the defense thinking about where they are by kind of always being on the move, and I think McBride is the latter. And Absolutely. just makes things uh, so much more difficult for the defense. Um, and defensively, you know, I think I like McBride maybe at this point of her career a little bit more defending threes and then, you know, defending shooting guards. And I think she probably will start at the two for this team. So maybe not necessarily playing exactly to, to her strength. I think her strength defensively, like is her core strength, you know, matching up against maybe bigger players rather than chasing around players who are her own archetype offensively, you know, those players that are going to run around screens, but you know, defensively, I think it will be a fine fit. Like they'll definitely figure out how to make it work. And they have plenty of other defensive talent around McBride, you know, and, and she's a, a good defensive player. You know, it's not like they're going to have to hide her or anything. But that way, I, I don't think it's like a, a perfect fit, but I think it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You can, when you have Nafisa Collier and Sylvia Fowles in your starting lineup, you can afford to not have some defensive versatility in, in other positions. Um, there's another player the Minnesota Lynx signed, another wing player, whose game is different than McBride's, but I think we both like the signing as well, Ariel Powers. Yeah, I, I think, you know, individually, I like both of these moves, but like collectively, I'm, I'm like a, a huge fan of kind of bringing in both these players, even though there is like a little bit of kind of positional overlap, but between powers, like she's definitely a capable spot up shooter, someone who can like really attack closeouts and she's just going to put more pressure on the rim from the perimeter than I think a lot of their other perimeter options are, you know, maybe with the exception of, of Odyssey Sims, but Powers, I think, overall offensive game is just a little bit more efficient in terms of having to be guarded out from behind the arc. And Minnesota is, a, you know, an offense that generates a lot of spot-up opportunities as they did last year. And McBride is obviously a great spot-up shooter. And in 2019, you know, when Powers was a little bit more of a, a secondary option for Washington, you know, she had to bear a little bit more of a burden in her limited time last year. But back in 2019, she was in the 91st percentile as a spot-up player. Because she's effective on the catch and shoot, she can attack the closeout, she can get to the free throw line, and she's not really a player anymore that is going to really turn the ball over a ton, uh, mostly because she, she shoots a lot, but she's pretty good at that. So, you know, both of these players are better than pretty much anybody in, in Minnesota's like rotation last year outside of fouls at getting to the rim. I mean, I'm sorry, getting to the free throw line and they do that kind of in different ways. You know, I think McBride is a little bit more on like the leveraging foul seeking behavior and powers is just, you know, for lack of a better term, like a, a power player. She, she uses her physicality. She just, gets fouled. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, she's like a really strong player for her size. So, you know, those, those aspects of, of both of them to be 
able to kind of do some stuff off the bounce. They can both stretch the floor a little bit. Was this a surprising outcome for you from Power's perspective or both of them going to Minnesota? Like, uh, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, it was a little bit of surprise. It was a lot more surprising than McBride. Maybe because McBride was first. Like, it, we talked about the positional overlap. I don't think it's a bad thing because their games differ enough to where, like, you could both start them and you could both have them playing their game at the same time. That's not the thing. Uh, it was a little interesting. I think any player who is in the conversation for the Mystics right now, and we're going to get to this later for another player, but the Mystics had so many players who they had to bring back, or not had to bring back, but had to make a decision on. That's that's probably a better way of putting it. I, I was kind of surprised to see something like this, you know, happen so quickly. I thought that Powers really came into her own in Washington, and maybe she kind of leveraged that into getting a better deal in Minnesota. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I think you hit on a lot of what I was going to say. The main part about this signing in conjunction with the McBride signing, because I don't think you can view both of them in a, in a vacuum because they're going to be, they're announced almost at the same time. It really suggests that Cheryl Reeve is looking to kind of overhaul her team. I think she kind of found something as last season, the small ball lineup sort of thing, the, the four-out offense where, you know, the name of the game is having people who can score and having people who can pass. Powers may be scoring a little bit more of a passer, but I think she is a better passer than she gets credit for uh, as an aside. But, um, you know, the links are short on – last season they were short on players who could get to the rim off the bounce. Dangerfield could do it. Sims could do it, but Powers is a player who is going to consistently be able to bully ball her way to the rim basically all the time. And having having more players who can create off the bounce for themselves and for others to an extent is, is, is a luxury that, you know, good offensive teams have, not just having the ball, you know, they, they also have players who now you can have multiple players bail you out on, on possessions. It doesn't have to be your five foot four point guard taking a shot as the shot clock winds down anymore. You've got aerial powers. You've got Caleb McBride now. You've got Nafisa Collier who can all kind of create different looks offensively, no matter what the shot clock is, no matter what the situation is. And I'm just loving the versatility out there now because you have a lot of good offensive players, but what makes them good offensive players does not overlap. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And like with these two examples specifically, like, you know, Powers is really good at getting to the rim and pretty good at shooting. And, and McBride is a really great shooter and, and pretty good at getting to the rim. Right. So, so there's just kind of a, a lot of optionality there. And I think maybe from like a collective, or I guess from like an individual standpoint, I should say, you know, each individual, you know, you don't really have like a, a great, I guess, like dynamic passer on this team, but I think there is enough collective passing and just like great infrastructure within the links that playmaking for others isn't really going to be an issue and like you're saying, like, I, I just love the lineup flexibility that they're kind of able to, to throw out there now. They have their three starting level bigs with Fowles and obviously Dantas and Collier. You can shift those two players, Collier and Dantas, down at the four and the five and maybe even play Powers at some small ball four with Collier at the five. And Powers has done that for the Mystics a little bit. And Collier was pretty much defensively the five last year in those Dantas lineups anyway. So between on the perimeter, having Dangerfield, McBride, Powers, Collier, you still have Odyssey Sims and Lexi Brown and Rachel Bantam as, as rotation players. Uh, obviously, they, they also brought in Natalie Achanwa as a reserve big to go along with Dantas and Falls and Collier to an extent. So there's so many different things you can do in terms of you can play big, you can play small. Um, pretty much any lineup you roll out there, you, you're going to be able to play at least four out. Um, 
and and have fouls as obviously you know like the most efficient offensive player at all time of all time down low uh if if she's your one player who's kind of really operating inside and obviously you know Collier likes to get some early duckins as well so uh there's just going to be a lot of space and, and a lot of optionality in terms of kind of whatever way they want to go with whether it's Achanwa as your backup center for some some bigger lineups or or the Collier Dantas lineups there's just so many different things that this team can do and I think having that optionality particularly in playoff series uh, is going to be huge for this team that's the one thing I I had about Achanwa signing did we talk about her yet uh we we didn't specifically well Achanwa I mean I, I think probably the least exciting of the Lynx uh signings so far but I mean okay you know, I mean, they get solid fouls insurance while also having an option to stay big if they want. And that's the one thing that they were missing last season. You know, when fouls went down, it was as awesome as it was to see them kind of shift into the small ball lineup. It's something they basically had to do. Now, I think they can stay big if they want to. So it, it, it adds another dimension, as you were saying, to a team that, you know, they weren't really able to do that last season. Like, other than that, I don't really have any strong opinions on Achano. I mean, She's a decent player. You know, she's is a decent signing to play for a deep team and a terrific coach, as we've said. And I don't think this is going to really change what they want to do schematically, but it's not going to really hurt them either. It's just, like I said, they're, they're loading up. You know, it, it gives them a solid, reliable backup center as insurance. If, if Fowles needs to take a game off, it's not really going to change what they want to do. It's, it's, she, she's not going to bring what Fowles does, but she's not going to hurt them to the point where they need to totally overhaul what they're doing, basically. I mean... I don't really have any thoughts besides that, do you? I mean, just that they have enough defensively on the perimeter, I think, to where I, I don't think a Chanwa, who I don't think is necessarily a great defensive player, like I don't think she's going to kill you in, in those lineups. Um, but it is great to just have, yeah, I mean, we keep saying it, but to have the option to play big, to play small, kind of whatever you think is going to really maximize your chances there. But I mean, just kind of from like a, a roster construction perspective, like we mentioned, Sims and Brown and Bantam as reserve players for them. They also have Herbert Harrigan and, and Jessica Shepard on this roster. And that's your 12 players before we even get to, I guess, the number nine pick that they have in the first round. And yeah. I imagine if Xander Lassini wants to come over this year, they're going to find a way to bring her back. So it is hard to see everyone currently on this roster still being there by the time the season starts. So I had some, like, some notes and thoughts on this in general. There are some players who I think are kind of on the bubble or who I could see on the move rather uh, after these signings. That's Sims, Brown, Jessica Shepard, and Rachel Bannum. Of those four players, Odyssey Sims is the only one whose salary is protected. So let me, let me kind of give my thoughts here. In, in order of players I'd most want to keep on this team. Number one is Odyssey Sims. Shocking, I know. But she's by far the best dribble penetrator of these players. And she's also the only one who, I think you had this as well, who can feasibly play point guard extended minutes. And I don't think you want to go into the season having Crystal Dangerfield as your only point guard. As deep and as flexible as this team now is, that's something that, you know, Sims does bring that, you know, the dribble penetration stuff and the veteran point guard mentality, which I think is is important to have on a, on a contending team, which they now are. And then second would be Lexi Brown. Like she had a horrible year last year, full stop. But she can at least make some plays on defense, and I think she's a better at least catch-and-shoot player than she's shown. She does not bring the jump shot versatility, but, you know, as, as, a, as a guard coming as, like, your fourth guard, I think she's still okay to have. Then Rachel Bannum, like, it was nice to see her kind of thrive for her hometown team last year, but from the beginning, I mean, that it just seemed like a stopgap signing to me. It seemed like, and I, I talked about this, I referred to this on the show briefly 
last time in, in part one of our free agency reaction. The Lynx were, they didn't really commit themselves long-term to big contracts. They knew they what they wanted to do this offseason. And I think Rachel Vanham was kind of a stopgap signing. And then Jessica Shepard, like, it's a fun idea, but I don't think she's got the physical tools to hang in the WNBA for a long time, especially coming off a really bad injury. We'll see. I don't know. I just think a Chanva signing makes her kind of – Stephen, if you were to, to take those four players and kind of make a priority list, how would, how would it look for you? Uh, it would be in the same order for sure. If, if you're considering Xander Lassini, would she be at the top of that list? Would she be, she be behind Sims just because of kind of what they need as a, a backup mm. point guard? Good question. I think she'd actually be behind Sims. I, I like Xander Lassini as a shooter, but looking at what they've done this offseason so far, I'm not sure what Xander Lassini – like how much of an impact she'd had on have on this team with both McBride and Powers on the roster. Yeah, I think in most situations I, I maybe would choose Zandalasini, like in I guess in a vacuum, but for this specific team, like unless you have another plan in place and and maybe that means, you know, Renee Montgomery coming back or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you 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 do need someone else that can like run an offense as a point guard and but the other thing is, is like Sims is a pretty established player. Like, I don't think if you're just like running her as your backup point guard, like I'm not exactly sure how tenable that situation is going to be. You're right. You're right. Uh, and speaking of which, you had a trade proposal. Well, I did. And it, again, this is like something where if this is something that they're, they're going to consider, you know, you do have to kind of have something figured out at backup point guard. But something I had mentioned to you is like, would it make sense for the links to offer uh, and you said, no, it, it wouldn't make sense. But uh, my proposal was Sims and Herbert Harrigan for Kia Nurse. Uh, and my reason being that Nurse is just in, you know, in a playoff rotation, she's someone who, uh, you know, neither one of us are, are someone who thinks that Nurse is going to be like a primary option. But just in terms of like a rotation wing, someone who's a little bit more reliable as an off-ball presence and, and is going to be guarded. And I think we saw that Seattle was not really too concerned about Odyssey Sims when Crystal Dangerfield or Nafisa Collier or someone else had the ball in, in last season's playoffs. So that was something where I thought maybe offering the Liberty kind of an athletic front court player who can block some shots, but you know, more importantly for them, probably someone Shoot who, threes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who can actually make a three pointer and not just, you know, take them as, as a wing or, you know, a combo forward, I guess. But why, why were you, I guess, a little bit lower on this one than I was? I'm not sure. Actually. I mean, now that I've had time to process it, I think it, it makes sense for both sides. I think it makes sense for New York more than it does Minnesota, but you have, you bring up a good point. You said Seattle is not worried about Odyssey Sims off the ball. I don't think any team is worried about Odyssey Sims off the ball. And Kia Nurse is someone, like you said, actually does need to be guarded. Another player who had a bad year last season, It was we were just kind of waiting for Kia Nurse to get it going, and she never did. But I think she's better than what she showed last season. And in Minnesota, players like that tend to resurrect their careers. The thing is, and that's what I kind of was saying before, if you trade Odyssey Sims – you are putting an enormous amount of pressure on Crystal Dangerfield and then whoever else you bring in to play backup point guard. Dangerfield handled that pressure last season, but I don't know if, if you're in a position where you need to make this trade if you're Minnesota. That's basically all I'm saying. Maybe if Sims wants out, maybe if Sims wants to be a starting player. I mean, is she going to be a starting player in New York? I don't know. But given I think the, so. Yeah, I mean, given the situation with Asia Durr, which is, which is very sad. I mean, we're... We're rooting for Asia to to be healthy, but like I don't know if she'd even start in New York. Do you? No, I don't. I don't think she would, unless maybe Marine didn't come over and they just kind of wanted to yeah. 
balance how often you know Sabrina had had the ball in her hands, but obviously you know they also have Laney, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. But I, I imagine if everyone's around, well, let me ask you this: Did any of the, did when you're when you're thinking about this hypothetical trade, was it was creating roster space a factor? It definitely was a, a factor, um, a little bit. You know, trading when you have twelve players already on roster with an additional overseas player who you, I imagine they, they'll want to bring back if she's interested in coming over. Plus your first round draft pick, getting someone who maybe fills that playoff rotation need a, a little bit better. But again, the more we think about it and, and that kind of need for backup point guard, I think it maybe makes a little bit less sense because, you know, nurse for, for all of her strengths, you know, she's not really one that's going to create for others. And I think Sims is a little bit better at that and, and can kind of just run the offense a little bit more. So, so maybe, you know, uh, again, unless they kind of have that spot figured out, the more I kind of get into it is it seems like you're a little bit more favorable on it than, than earlier today when I first proposed it to you and I'm maybe a little bit less so unless, you know, something like maybe like a Renee Montgomery or something like that. But, you know, we keep bringing her up. She's only going to play for one team next year. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I, I think there's good reason to think that they should just keep Sims, um, you know, on the roster, but they did bring, two high profile wings in this off season. So her minutes are going to go down one way or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So one thing I want to mention before we, we, we move on here from Minnesota, they've got the number nine overall pick in this year's draft, which you've said already in this situation, I'd be looking strongly at Ileana Rupert, who is a French center. She is FIBA's young player of the year. I don't know anything about that award, so I can't talk about how credible it is or anything like that, but she's going to be 20 years old this July. I would think in a, a team like this, who's already loaded, you know, they, they've already got their roster. It's where we're asking questions like, who are they going to cut? Like, this is a tough decision. You might want to just draft a player like that and stash her, like Seattle has been doing with their international players over the past couple of years. Rupert is a player who I think is first round talent, not the only international player. If you looked at some mock drafts that have been floating around, they've got some other international players there as well. But I think given the cap situation with Minnesota and their roster situation where you are creating hypothetical trades in order just to get somebody out, this is another approach to take, right? You, you draft an international player who has no intent of coming over this season and just kind of say, okay, we'll, we'll see you later. You know, we own your rights. And this would also make sense for Minnesota because, you know, Sylvia Fowles, we're not sure how much longer she's going to be playing and you're drafting a center. So that's kind of like a, a, a have your cake and eat it too sort of situation, but just something I wanted to throw out there. Now. No, I think that makes a lot of sense, yeah. especially if, you know, if, if it's uh, assumed or, or known already that repair won't be coming over next season. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And this is something, like I said, that the storm have done the past two drafts as well. Like they literally could not add another player. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take an international player and we'll, we'll worry about it later. So that's, that's something I think Minnesota and some other teams like maybe Chicago could do it this draft. I'm, I'm really interested to see how this draft shakes out because of these reasons. But anyway, which player would you like to talk about now? Well, I just wanted to ask you one more thing. Like, is, is this enough to kind of vault this team into title contention? Oh, like, are they still in kind of that, that secondary tier uh, of contenders? For now, I'm going to say they're in a secondary tier just because I think other teams such as, you know, assuming Washington is able to bring back most of their team, assuming Seattle is able to bring back most of their team. We already talked about Vegas last time. They have a lot more high-end talent than Minnesota does. But man, I do not want to bet against Cheryl Reeve, do you? No, but I, I guess my early in inclination is to also think that they are probably in kind of that B-tier contender. Like, I, I, I don't think I would be stunned if they ended up, 
you know, making the, the WNBA finals, but it, it seems more likely that they are maybe, you know, a semifinals participant than a finals participant. I, I, I think Minnesota and Chicago are a good match for each other right now. Am I too long on my team? Or? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to know kind of what version of, of some players who maybe had a, a down year last year for Chicago. Um, but so you, you don't think really Chicago is, I guess you're a little bit lower on Chicago than kind of a lot of other folks who are, you know, pretty much penciling them into the finals already. Oh, I would not pencil them into the finals. I'm not penciling anybody into the finals right now. Uh, so let, let's move from a player in Ariel Powers who left the Washington Mystics to one who's reported to be heading there, Alicia Clark. I think this, for a lot of people, was the most surprising move of the offseason so far. Yeah, well, one of them. It's up there for sure. Uh, I kind of, Clark, you figure she's a player who I thought was going to be a storm for life. You know, I, She's had this great career arc that we've talked about a billion times. In Seattle, I would have thought, you know, hey, I, why would you not make this player a priority? And maybe they did, you know, but it's uh, her joining the Washington Mystics. Wow. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, well, hopefully that's not all you have to say. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, like you're saying, I, I can't believe that this wasn't like something that Seattle made sure would not happen. And, and maybe, you know, they offered her everything they could offer her and, and Clark just decided that she was going to go to a new opportunity. But, mm-hmm. you know, as you were saying, being in Seattle for so long, really just kind of uh, building a career, uh, the road that, that she took to get there and obviously winning two championships and seemingly the windows uh, still being open to win another one. Yeah, very surprising for me, uh, particularly since, you know, the, the Natasha Howard piece of it for Seattle hasn't really been sorted out. So it's not like, you know, they had committed so much money to, to her long-term. You, we don't really know what's going on there. And, right. um, but just from a, uh, a fit for Washington. I mean, I think she's obviously, uh, I think she is a better player than Ariel Powers, but do you like this fit more than when they had Powers? Well, again, it's going to depend on who else the Mystics bring back because we, we still don't know. But I, I think, like you said, uh, part of what makes it so surprising, not from Clarkson, but for the Mystics end, I mean, they've got so many in-house things to take care of right now. Seeing someone come into the fold before saying, okay, we're resigning Meeson, we're resigning Cloud, we're resigning Sanders, we're resigning Powers. It's, it's surprising. It's surprising just in the grand scheme of things. But uh, Alicia Clark is a player who, as we have said a thousand times, she can fit in anywhere. But on this team, I really, really like it, especially because they love switching on defense. Clark can do that. Uh, they love shooting threes. She can do that. And just given the amount of emphasis they put on sharp decision-making with the basketball, crisp passing, high IQ basketball plays, I mean, does that not sound just like Alicia Clark to you? Yeah. And the one thing we always talk about with Clark, like passing up a good shot for a great shot, like yeah. that's, that's mystics basketball, at least yeah. the last time we saw them uh, at, at full operation. And, you know, I, I imagine her role offensively will be pretty similar to, to what it was in Seattle, just in terms of, you know, she'll camp out in the corner. She'll be a tertiary playmaker. Um, she's more than likely going to shoot a really high percentage from three and, and get some really clean looks from there as well. You know, the defensive perimeter options that this team has now between Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins oh, and Alicia crazy. Clark. Like, 
it's it's really going to help when two of those three are on the court with Leilani Mitchell and and you can just uh yeah Leilani Mitchell's still on this team amazingly just in terms of all the the different options they have obviously she is an undersized player so to have three great defensive perimeter options and you know you can you can put Clark on your opponent's best perimeter player and have Atkins play the help I think she's you know maybe the best perimeter help defender in the league on like their weakest option or you can go vice versa because Clark is a, a great perimeter help defender as well I mean two of the best wings in the league at digging down and opponents post-ups and creating turnovers that way. This is, it's a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. Uh, In terms of just like the, the rich getting richer in that regard. But I do think this team is going to miss a little bit of the presence of Atkins. They have Mitchell, they have possibly Emma Misaman and Elena Della Don. Like uh, if, if what we saw from Aisha Hines Allen is real, like they have a, a whole roster full of players that are anywhere between tremendous and effective spot up shooters uh, whereas outside of Natasha Cloud, like they don't really have another perimeter option who plays like Powers, who's going to get all the way to the front of the rim and is going to use her strength to get to the free throw line. So I do think that element of her her game is going to be missed, and it mm-hmm. seems maybe uh, uh, Washington disagrees with me, but um, <laughs> maybe just Maisha Hines Allen with her face up game and, and having Cloud back, and obviously they have like a, a, a super duper star with Elena Deladon. Maybe it's not going to matter, but it, it is something that I was considering, like. That's something that they they really don't have anymore. I hear your concern, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to matter that much in the long run because even when the Mystics were going on their dominant run in 2019 and they were posting these insane offensive numbers, I don't think many of those looks really came from like dribble penetration, did they? It was mostly the fact that somebody has to double Elena Deladon or somebody has to double Emma Mieseman and you're getting these open looks because you just have so many mismatches everywhere and because your ball movement is so good. That's a great point that usually a team is going to use two players to guard Elena Delano. And, and it's not like Powers is, is, a, is a dribble, penetrate, and pass player. She's a dribble, penetrate, and shoot player. So yep, like, I, I, I get the concern, but in, in, the, in the scheme of what the Mystics want to do offensively, I think this is still a home run. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't dislike the move by any means. It, it, it okay. is just like a, a different player, you know what I mean? You're you're getting right. a different player archetype and one that you you do have a really good version of already in, in uh, Ariel Atkins, but obviously, you know, Clark I think is a, a better passer and a more physical defender can do a little bit more switching, which as you mentioned, Washington uh, likes to do. And you know, I think a million teams could have used Alicia Clark, and Washington maybe was at the the bottom of this list given everything they had, but they got her, and they're going to be awesome for it. It's, it's going to be really fun to watch. Like we love Alicia Clark on this podcast. If it's not already obvious, uh, we love what Washington did offensively in 2019 and it's going to be a fun fit. Should we talk about Laney to the New York Liberty? I, I would love to kind of get your, your thoughts on this one. If you okay. think this is really kind of like a, a difference making move for them. Okay. Well, you know, honestly, my, my first thoughts, my primary thoughts, they have nothing to do with basketball. Um, this, well, I mean, they have something to do with basketball, but uh I kind of tweeted about this a couple of days ago, but I'd like to say it once again. I think this is super cool. And here's why you think about Benajah Laney's situation a year ago, she was cut from the Indiana fever after having a pretty poor offensive season, but she was cut from the Indiana fever after the fever made some interesting personal decisions, interesting draft decisions that we won't go into here. Um, what did she do? She went to Atlanta, signed a contract for all intents and purposes last minute. She capitalizes on Atlanta having a lousy situation, had a career year offensively, did things that we didn't even know she could do. And then she used that to land a huge contract elsewhere. Like, is that not, is that not the coolest thing you know, is, of securing the bag 
that's like the definition of securing a bag, leveraging a lousy situation into a better one. So I don't know, will, will contract year Laney become a thing? I, I think it, it would surprise both of us to see her repeat her offensive performance of 2020. But as fun as it was, like it was fun to see her shatter everyone's expectations last season, our, ourselves included. But the fit is, it could be better. It could be better. Yeah, I, I get why people really love this move. I, I think I'm just kind of okay on it. Like, I, yeah. I get that her fit as a defensive player is awesome, right? They, she's a real wing stopper, a multi-positional defender, someone who can really give you problems at the point of attack. She's a wing who does things. They were yeah, kind of exactly. lacking in that. <laughs> right, that, that's true. But, but even more so than, you know, just being competent. Like, she is an elite defender, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, the closest thing they had to, like, a wing stopper is, before this, was Kia Nurse, who... Mm-hmm. I don't think either one of us think that she's, I think she's a solid defender, but you know, she's not Benajelani defensively. So I I imagine now that nurse will be coming off the bench for this team, but in lineups where nurse and Laney share the floor, which I imagine will happen quite a bit. Like now nurse gets to maybe guard the second best perimeter option, which I think is probably a little bit more appropriate. So, um, and as, as many have pointed out, Laney should definitely be able to play some part in improving the Liberty's 10th ranked, according to Synergy, pick and roll defense last year. You know, just oh, that high. <laughs> um, so, I mean, a lot of my skepticism is, you know, stuff that we've talked about before. Like, is the three-point shooting for real? Because I think her, her slashing game, her playmaking, there's no real reason to think that that isn't for real. So, and that is going to help this Liberty team. But, and I understand it's more nuanced than, than what I'm about to say, but just in terms of like the pecking order, she's probably third in terms of like perimeter players you want to have the ball in their hands for this team behind Sabrina and Maureen Johannes and if she isn't the one operating offensively and the ball is more in those two players hands like is her presence out there making it easier or more difficult for one of those two players yeah. as creators uh, and I think it's it's fair to still be wondering about that I agree and that's that's a good point um, that's something you brought up pretty often about regarding Laney's tenure in Atlanta for as awesome as she was, she was still more of a playmaker for herself or a play finisher for herself. I do think that there's more to her game than just, you know, or there's more to make or break than just her spot up shooting. Playing with a point guard of Sabrina Unescu's caliber is going to open up a lot of off ball stuff for her as well. It's not going to be a situation where you're just like New York last year. Oh my God. Everyone was just lobbing the ball around the burner, just taking turns, shooting threes. You know, a, a player like Sabrina Unescu will open up a lot of these things. And Laney's, I think she'll be able to be more of an off-ball player. You know, I mean, off-ball movement, rather. Wasn't a huge part of her game in Atlanta. But again, this is something that, like you said previously on, on the previous episode, I think it was regarding, who is it regarding? A player who, like, if you can sign this player, you do it. Oh, I think okay. it was it was Cheyenne Parker. It was Cheyenne Parker, yeah. Or Laney's so if, if you can sign Benajah Laney, you sign Benajah Laney. That's the, that's, the, that's the good part about having a lousy team full of cheap players. You have plenty of cap space to make a move like this and not tie your own hands. I don't think New York is done for what it's worth. Um, so regarding the pecking order, I mean, there's, there's still more to be decided there. What I'm interested in seeing is how Laney fits into this front court situation. They have yet to sign Amanda Zowie B. She might be on the move. I don't know. I mean, I think she's a player who teams, who desperate teams might be taking a look at now. Would you consider her to maybe be a small ball four option? I think she has the, the strength to do that in, in some lineups. I think mm-hmm. that would be something that could really open things up for those, those other two players that we talked about before. That's, that's something I would love to see. But I do think you kind of need like a, a great center. You know, you can't have an undersized yeah. center and, and do that. 
I mean, I guess maybe if the undersized center is Natasha Howard because she's just so good defensively, but mm-hmm. almost any other, you know, not physically dominant center, I, I don't think it's really something that's going to drive a ton of success. You know, you bring up Natasha Howard, and you also brought up the fact that they court her, but they haven't actually signed her yet. I mean, I think that's... Just, Could like, New York be a potential landing destination? Yeah, I think this is still kind of the the one big domino yet to fall. Like, if you are the Liberty, like, would you offer that number one pick? Is, oh, is absolutely. Even, does that even make sense for Seattle? Like, you know, you have... I mean, I guess the rest of their players outside of Sue Bird, like, the number one pick isn't so much younger than them. But but for the Liberty, I think Natasha Howard is a, a little bit old for, for the rest of their... I mean, she's only 29. It's not like she's 35 or something. But, you know, she's she's a little bit more advanced, I guess, their competitive timeline. But it would still make a lot of sense, obviously. It would make a ton of sense, defensively and offensively. And for Seattle, I mean, well, it would make the most sense to, to keep Howard. But if uh, you are going to trade her in New York, they have a lot of assets. They've got that number one overall pick, which is currently of dubious value, but it's still a number one overall pick. And you've got a lot of other players who you can maybe take a chance on as well. So, yeah, that look out for that. That would be uh, not insinuating anything, but it's something that could happen. Are you saying that pick is of uh, uh, what was the term you're dubious uh, value? Yeah. Is that just because of a, a weak class or just because of uncertainty with the, the class? In yes. Terms and of yes. Like re- returning to school? Yes. And yes. See, the, the, like, well, the thing you got to keep in mind with this class is everyone has an extra year of eligibility. Because the NCAA, you know, with the, the coronavirus, they, they gave everyone an extra year. So technically, we could say nobody's entering the WNBA draft. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But, I mean, let's be honest. If you're going if, if to be bad, this is the year to be bad because next year's class is so much better than this year's. So that's something to keep in mind. So I, I guess back to Lenny quickly. I do like this move for sure, like specifically better than them not really bringing in anybody and just, you know, rolling out eight second year players and, oh, and a couple of rookies yeah. and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she is a good player. You definitely, like you said, if, if you have a chance to sign her, you sign her. Uh, and the other thing is like, as we saw in Atlanta last year, if your other building blocks, you know, Sabrina Marine, if she comes over, if they aren't exponentially, you know, more impactful, obviously Sabrina had a lost season, but like if they're, if they're not contributing to, to winning basketball in the ways that you, you might hope, Laney isn't so good that it's going to maybe stop you from competing for the number one overall pick, right, which right. Uh, I, I think is also important. Like she's, she's definitely going to help your team if those players are good, but she's not going to be, you know, she's fighting for the eighth seed if those players are, are, are not as good. So, and Steven, as far as the roster is concerned, it does make me wonder about the futures of Rebecca Allen and Stephanie Talbot. You know, I think both of us think that they fit what New York wants to do on offense better than what Laney does and that they're both really, really good spot-up three-point shooters. But at the same time, like, there's positional overlap here, and the international player status remains cloudy. So, I don't know. Do, do, you, do you think the signing um, is, has the writing on the wall for those two players, or what? I didn't really think so. I mean, I, I think – I mean, when you look at just how many – rookies who did not really make any kind of impact last year they had like you can oh, yeah, definitely bring back at least one of those two players uh i imagine they probably value rebecca allen a little bit more than stephanie talbot but if they wanted <laughs> to bring them both back uh i mean just from my personal experience i think allen's just a little bit better you know they I have agree. similar skill sets but i think allen's a little bit better on defense uh having you know joiner holmes on the roster last year or um uh, liana odom or something like that like those those players are not going to stop you from bringing in uh, especially this type of veteran who's just going to make things easier for, you know, your, your two backcourt players who, who kind of would like an open space uh, in terms mm-hmm. of 
their development and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully both of those players uh, return to the WNBA next season. That'd be really cool. Along with uh, someone you're pretty high on, Rain Johannes, but we'll talk about that later. Um, moving on, uh, Alicia Gray resigning with the Dallas Wings. I'm not surprised. No, I'm, I'm not surprised either. This was, you know, my pipe dream for Gray was maybe instead of uh, Ariel Connecticut, Parks, right? Uh, no, well, I mean, that, that was never going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think she would have really done great under Cheryl Reeve. That was something. Mm. Uh, but, you know, uh, I definitely understand Minnesota prioritizing unrestricted free agents to restricting free agents. And I did uh, say on Twitter like a couple weeks ago that I hoped Gray ended up on a good team. And I think this is a perfectly fine situation for her. Like what I was just as someone that's a fan of her game and kind of what she brings and, and doesn't bring to the, the table. Like I was, was hoping that, you know, a team wouldn't uh, a team who's not really close to competing for anything significant, like an Indiana or something would just uh, panic and, and sign her to a big deal and, or, or trade way too much to get her or something like that. So um, I'm, I'm glad she's staying in Dallas. Like I think they are really on the, the precipice of like competing for, maybe like the uh the five seed or something every year you know they're, they're not title contenders really? yet they're still a way ways away from that but you know we're gonna see hopefully some some incremental improvements in terms of Arike's decision making a little bit more egalitarian style from her with a new coach we're definitely going to see a better version of Satu Saboli this year I'm still pretty high on Bella Allery so so she's only 26 Gray is the the kind of pieces around her you know they're they're within that same kind of timeline so I think this is a good situation. I mean, Dallas may might not be a good situation for anybody, but the <laughs> roster <laughs> roster terms, it's a good situation. Now, now, <laughs> do you think? Uh, well, try this on for size. Dallas, this is the only thing Dallas really had to do in free agency, and like I said before, it's pretty easy to retain all your players when they're cheap. Do you think Dallas could be a potential for a uh, trade partner for somebody looking to make a big splash? Sure. I've been like kind of playing around with that in my head. And I, I just, I don't really know what it looks like in terms of like, are, are they someone who a team is going to like try to two for one to get a, a roster spot? Like they, they don't really have like veterans that are going to help a win now team. Like that's the kind of archetype. Like not, not Kayla Thornton. You don't think Kayla Thornton? I, I think Kayla Thornton is, you know, that, that was the one that I was going to say is, is okay. the exception or maybe even like maybe Atlanta goes back after a stew do uh, or something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, Mariah Jefferson, it was kind of another lost season for her. Isabel Harrison, I think, is, you know, a reserve big at, at this point. So I don't know. It's hard to see what that looks like. If anything, I see them really going kind of like big game hunting in terms of trying to get a star, but it's hard yeah. to really see what that looks like as well. Well, that's what I was thinking. I, I think Dallas has the assets, um, and they also have a very large contract that they kind of need to unload and do and do. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much they value Bella Ellery or how much they value Taisha Harris. Because if a, if a big fish makes them, or is made available, um, you said Dallas is kind of on the precipice of being like a sixth seed or a fifth seed. This is a team that has a lot to offer and they've got a lot of picks again. So I don't know if, if a team is looking to trade a big name player, Dallas could be a destination as well. So that's something to, to keep your eye on. And then the other thing is that they have, they have 12 players on roster and three first round picks. So yeah, that's the picks. Yeah. That's, that's what I was saying. Like you, if you're Dallas, you can't keep turning over half of your roster just because you have like, it's one thing to have assets, but you got to do something with those assets at, at some point, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, maybe they use one of those to, to get off of a, a big contract or maybe they just kind of push all their chips in and, and go after someone who's looking to, 
uh, kind of push back their timeline. Maybe this is where <laughs> Natasha Howard ends up or, or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's hard to see because there's not really, you know, that, that great kind of veteran player that's on a team that's not really looking that like it's going to compete anymore. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, it's funny. I, I'm looking at the Dallas Wings salary cap sheet for from, from her hoop stats. Amazing resource. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Ariki <laughs> Agumboala is the lowest paid player on this team. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Okay. So a few more moves we uh, have yet to address. Uh, nothing really that discussion worthy, but you know, for continuity purposes, um, your Connecticut son, Resign Jasmine Thomas. Thoughts? Uh, just a sigh of relief. Uh, curious to see what the terms of this deal are. In term, I mean, that's the case with every signing or, or reported yeah. signing so far. <laughs> kind of wonder how close to max money she got because I think if she really wanted to, you know, if, if Connecticut didn't offer her max money, I think that was probably uh, close to it was there somewhere else. You know, uh, looking at you, Indiana, perhaps. Uh, that was mm. something that I think kind of always made sense to me in terms of, you know, she could play defensively alongside their two guards that they have already. And obviously they just lost Erica Wheeler, but yeah, no real thoughts, you know, glad, glad that she's coming back. I don't really think Connecticut's really going to be all too serious of a, a contender, obviously with uh, Alyssa Thomas being out for the season, but you know, hopefully there'll be a solid playoff team. Okay. Okay. Elsewhere in Seattle, uh, Sue Bird resigned the franchise player resigning with the franchise. Shocking there. And they also re-signed Epiphany Prince for, this is interesting, a multi-year deal. I thought that was interesting as well. I was, uh, uh, and maybe it's just not a fully guaranteed multi-year deal. That's, yeah, um, right. But, but still, I, I thought uh, Epiphany Prince at this stage of her career, you know, no disrespect intended, uh, one of, one of uh, uh, a, a great player uh, in her day. But um, was, I, I would say it was an up and down season in, in Seattle, but she definitely mm-hmm served a role that that they needed uh but a, a multi-year deal was a little bit surprising for me do you think that's because of like bird insurance or they just really liked what she did last year or, or what yeah i mean maybe she's a you know a, a great veteran presence or uh, you you might know a little bit more about that than than i would but um yeah i mean just between you know you've already lost a wing you have another one that's a, a restricted free agent who you know maybe uh like many international players it's up in the air whether they uh, would come even comes over next year. I imagine she would. I hope she would. But uh, and like you said, I mean, Bird played half the games last season and, and missed the entirety of the season before that, and is uh, a player in her forties. So definitely understand Sheesh. wanting to have some depth at that position. Okay, I I agree on all those. Like those 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 few moves, I don't really have that many thoughts on. Um, the few moves that were not totally surprising. This is this has really been a fun off season so far, and it technically hasn't even started yet. So um, any, any final thoughts here? No, I mean, I think the most interesting piece left to fall is like, is Seattle going to bring back Natasha Howard for, for a long-term deal? Is she going to be on the move somewhere? Like how do they kind of uh, rebuild the wing position? Is, are they just going to roll with uh, Whitcomb and, and Lloyd as the starters there? Or um, maybe it's Canada and Bird uh, uh, and Lloyd at the three. Um, so yeah. I think Seattle's kind of, you know, the, the most interesting team left to kind of figure everything out. If, if Natasha Howard does return, I think they are still among the favorites. If not, uh, things could open up considerably, but that's a good thing. You know, I, I think Steven, I think the days, I think last season was so anomalous in that like we knew Seattle was going to win the championship from the moment the season began. Right. I, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Given all this, all this surprising player movement, um, really good players leaving good situations like Clark Clark left Seattle to go to another good team. So it's, 
it's going to be fun. Um, of course, February 1st, which is tomorrow, the day that uh, players can officially sign their contracts. So I'll be on Twitter uh, relentlessly hitting the refresh button. I don't know about you, but um, we're in for an exciting free agency period. Yeah. And it's already been uh, uh, almost more than we could ask for, you know, yeah. I mean, there's been so much happening already. So um, I guess with that, do you want to sign us out? I will do so. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We really had a good time talking about this. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to do any comparisons, but I think the anticipation for us recording personally was was higher than it's ever been recording these episodes. So, likewise, uh, our anticipation is equally high for talking about things that will inevitably be happening in the in the next week or in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah. So stay stick with us. Um, Double down WNBA on Twitter. Our personal accounts at Nemchaki or at Trinkwald. We are on Google Play, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify. So if you'd like to give us a shout or give us a subscribe, that'd be very kind of you. But until next time, this is Eric Nemchak and Stephen Trinkwald. Catch you later.